This episode of Glop Culture is brought to you by Harry's Shave. Overpaying for drugstore razor blades is a bad habit that you should leave behind. Make the smart switch to Harry's. Use the coupon code GLOP and buy... Hold on. Hold on. This says Casper Mattresses. Wow, it's the, our crack team. Our crack oh, wait. producing team. I got team. the wrong... I For some reason, I think you sent me... Wait a this minute. has got to stay in, by the way. This is a... This is a perfect pro- this is a perfect example of the problem with the Republican elite. Uh, hold on a second. For some reason, what? Yeah, what? this is a I metaphor. Some... It's a metaphor. I'm telling you, he's hold befuddled. So... He's looking for the right copy. He doesn't have it. He was prepared. Reality, real life is crashing in. This on is him. my plenty moment. Hold this on. This is exactly it. This is really this is really happening. Oh my lord, it's happening. And then we're, we're going to take a little break now. We got to stop. We got to slow down. But you know what? You can't slow down, John, because because the world keeps moving. We keep recording. It keeps moving. The podcast keeps going. Podcast equals life. Okay, John Powers, Republican, okay. conservative, elite, befuddled, finally finds it too late. Go ahead. This and I can hear Jonah this. with this big gulp. He's just the American public. Big gulp of what is the question? <laughs> well, I think I know because it's Wait, it's uh, not quite we, noon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you don't start drinking in the morning, you can't say you've been drinking all day. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, exactly right. Hold on. Hold on. It's nine in the morning somewhere. That's what I always say. <laughs> okay. So, wait a minute. I'm sorry. We have to start again because I don't no. understand what our topics are. It doesn't matter. We're just going to go. You know, here, here's our topics, John. Our no, topics are topics. Who's our sponsor? That's what I don't know. This is such this is such a great metaphor. I cannot believe we're not going to actually play. You are the fuddled Republican establishment needs to know who his big donors are before he'll move forward. That's what this is. You can't move. You can't okay. get off. You can't move forward until you know who your big donors are. Okay. Okay. Fine. We're gonna. We are gonna play this for all of you because okay. everything else is a disaster. So why shouldn't this be a disaster? <laughs> Glop Culture is brought to you by Hillsdale College uh, and by The Great Courses. And welcome to another episode of Glop Culture. This is John Pufford in New York. With me, as always, Jonah Goldberg, who apparently survived a horrific plane flight yesterday and landing at Dulles Airport. on one of his many journeys out of Washington to enlighten the increasingly enfeebled masses. It was uh, the closest Jonah? I ever felt to coming to being William Shatner. You know, it was just like the uh, gremlin episode of Twilight was, Zone. There was a gremlin. There was a gremlin or it was just felt like there was a gremlin? Well, there's, uh, the gremlin is metaphorical. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was – let's just keep going. Let's I, thought, I thought when you said William Shatner, you thought because ever it came to being, being a 500-pound man squeezed into a suit for a 100-pound man. But go ahead. Uh, I don't know what that's a reference to, but that, of course, is – The uniform was uh, tight. Bob, the uh, latter years, the uniform oh, that, was tight. Oh, yes, the latter The latter year. <laughs> the latter year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was a little uh, – he was a little oh. – uh, I like this girdle, you know, the Starfleet issued girdle. That was great. <laughs> That's right. Well, it was a truss. It was a truss. He had, to, he had to pick up something. You know, you gotta, you know he, he always had a hard time lifting with his legs. We well, you know how lots of technology spun off of Star Trek, like the Samsung flip phone? Sure. So did Spanx. 
<laughs> you know, remember that. Wait, can show? I? Can I? Can I say? Oh, here's the sponsor I want, and this is going to be weird. But here's the sponsor I want. I got for Christmas a gift card to an online retailer, and I used that gift card to purchase underwear by a company called Tommy John. I know it sounds weird. I'm just saying free ad, free free a free ad for them. They're great. You, okay. Especially, especially if you travel. <laughs> especially if you travel. Go ahead. Continue. So, um, I was just going to point out that there was a there was an a, an episode of a of an unheralded but re, now unheralded but really funny, often really funny show in the 1980s called Night Court with Harry Anderson, sure. on which on, on which um, on which the uh, t- towering bald bailiff. Played by Richard Maul, decided that he wanted to wear um, a hairpiece, and so he went somewhere to some store to buy a hairpiece. And the man said, "I I don't know if you're ready for the Shatner three thousand. <laughs> the Shatner three thousand is a very serious hairpiece." So, my favorite, um, 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 my favorite uh, uh, night court joke was really simple. Someone they had a a, um, a birthday party. And uh, the guy, da- um, I'm gonna forget, uh, Dan, John Larroquette. John, John Larroquette, yeah. great, great actor. John Larroquette. John Larroquette is actually one of the best actors around. I've worked with him before. He's a, the nicest guy, and he's funny, and he's a terrific actor. And he, he played like sort of the. Five, he won like five Emmys in a row for that and, show, and he deserved like ninety. But yeah. he played a kind of on the make, kind of sleazy uh, lawyer. And there's a birthday party in the office, and he brings a cake. Or somebody brings a cake that's in the shape of two breasts, like a you know, like that's what it is, like two mounds, and the cake is decorated that way. And they're all thinking, oh god, that's you know, yeah, hide this cake. It's really not, uh, um, uh, it's 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 really in, in poor taste. So you put the cake in the other room, and the party goes on. And somebody say, hey, where's where's John Larroquette? Where's John Larroquette? And he comes in from the other room where the cake is, and his face is smeared with cake. <laughs> and it was just one of the great sight gags. <laughs> I, I'm worried. Just I'm, brilliant. It made me laugh I'm really worried, hard. I'm worried that we've mentioned this before, but um, because and then it will sound that I like I'm I'm obsessed with it. But I, for some reason, it's come up in the last month, and I have a feeling maybe it came up on the last podcast or something. But um, in the neighborhood that Jonah and I grew up in, where I still live on on 83rd Street, just up uh, east of Columbus. As Jonah would walk to his uh, school, I believe, mm-hmm. there was uh, – you would go down down the stairs to a place known as the Erotic Bakery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the Erotic Bakery? So there I was, do. in fact, a bakery on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in a, in a residential neighborhood uh, half a block from a synagogue, which I think is where Jonah went to school, and there was a – Erotic bakery where you could buy cakes in the shape of various parts of a female New anatomy. York values. And male New York values. It is so New York values. But, but we're veering uncomfortably close right. to subject matter that we decided before the show we were not going to address. We are not talking about the current situation. We are having that we are taping or doing this podcast. Uh, eight hours before the next Republican debate, and we oh. decided that we are not talking about politics. We're going to talk about anything. Well, I want to get back to the erotic bakery for a moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, erotic bakery. And you know where where you can buy again. 
the erotic bakery where you could buy just to, to sort of segue these two things together. You could buy cakes that you could get schlonged by, um, as, as but, it were, yeah. as it were, um, as someone might say if we were talking about those kinds of things. But we're not um, talking about those things. But we're not talking about those things. No. That is the uh, it is the. Uh, the, the fake elephant in the room, as it were. Right. Anyway. <laughs> the dying elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, but it's sort but, of, so, it does remind me, like, that, any, any setup like that, though, you always, my mind always goes to the, the scene, the hack jokes you write when you go into the erotic bakery. You want it with nuts? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> We're not going to have well, that so, many yeah, people. Uh, no, I anyway, I have, yeah. I have an actual anecdote about the erotic bakery. So that okay. when we were little kids, we would walk past it pretty much every day, and they put, I'm sure for, because of complaints from parents, they put like a um, screen in the lower third of the display window so that little kids couldn't see over it and see all the stuff. And so all the little kids coming home from Road of Show and Day School, we would take turns getting on each other's shoulders so that we could look down at the boobs and schlongs wow. and whatnot below. What a, yes. what, a, what a great disappointment it must have been for you the first time you saw all of those in real life. And, yeah, realized, that's right. and you realized that there was no frosting. There's no frosting. But you're right about, about this, the stupid gag jokes because when I was a tel- public television producer, it was a running thing, uh, running sort of uh, joke talking point about how difficult it was it was back when remember there was all those lawsuits and those terrible cases about the silicone implants for breast yeah, implants right and it was literally impossible to write straightforward public policy oriented nerdy copy about this you know it's like there's a huge issue on the horizon you know there's like, right. no way you can talk about it without it sounding like a double entendre but Anyway. Yeah, and even now I'm thinking, you know, what what flavor cake you want? Well, you know, my parents are Baptists, so I better stick with vanilla. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just working uh, off what I got right now. You're not you're not paying me or giving me any time, so come back in an hour. I'll have a whole I'll have a whole list of them. Oh my god! In fact, that kind of that very that very scene of going in to the to a certain set, a situation that, that's complicated and has all these double meanings and then trying to order a cake is you know this is the kind of thing that would derail a writer's room for hours as we all <laughs> come up with our own jokes you kind of a premise and then you come up with your payoff and of course the premise is like you know you go in to order a birthday cake for your kid you don't realize it's an erotic bakery because you can't see over the screen and then you start ordering and they start asking you questions and you both think you're neither one of you quite understands the other um but I don't know. And then you get into all the racial stuff when you want a black and white cookie. That's and... right. Exactly right. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, you know, I got to take this down to South Carolina. Whatever it is. You know, you <laughs> figure it out. Uh, and, that's right. why, and that's why there was that lawsuit, right? That famous lawsuit, the Friends staffer. Right, right, right. Exactly claiming, right. Claiming that the writer's room was a, was a hostile work environment because she Which was it is. It is. female. And, yeah. and basically in the courtroom, right, people said – this is the only way that we can do our jobs is if it's three in the morning. We got to let off some steam by making dis- uh, well, by making disgusting jokes. Yeah, I mean, I don't usually work. I mean, I'm, I'm, the shows that I run, I don't. We don't usually work that late. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's seven o'clock or it's six or whatever after the run through four or before when you're before the run through at ten thirty or eleven in the morning. You're like uh, uh, any. I would never want to hire. Uh, a, 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 a comedy writer who didn't, who could not at, from a standing start, make a 
totally, totally reprehensible Anne Frank joke. There you go. Yeah. There you but go. I hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, that'll get you shadow banned on Twitter for sure. Yeah. So explain <laughs> explain shadow banning now. I just I just read about it today. You guys had a little Twitter exchange. So you, are, is that really happening? That that, that Twitter Twitter Inc. The, the, uh, I, I hear bad things about Twitter's uh, financial si- situation. Dopey Jack Dorsey runs it. Sad. Um, I'm, just, I'm just getting used to. I'm just getting used to getting prepared. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. I, so I, I hear that they are – that the, the Twitter Health and Safety Commission or whatever it's called, uh, Safety yes. and Security uh, Commission, um, they are banning people or banning hashtags or, uh, or, 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 or kicking people out of the algorithm who um, for some reason are – tend to be on the conservative side. Is that true? I am not uh, I am not myself fully up on the on the matter but apparently as a result of the year of uh, of Gamergate the the unbelievably complicated and impossible to follow story about uh gamers Yeah, I, I don't know what side I'm on. Yeah. Sexist and they and and then they were being suppressed and then they weren't sexist and then they were attacking each other and all this that that uh, uh, Twitter's management, in an effort to um, appease some of the uh, uh, GamerGate liberals who believed themselves to have been mistreated, created some kind of a panel that is allowed to uh, judge whether certain highly controversial Twitter feeds should be banned. As I, if, I'm, if I'm getting this wrong, people can correct me on Twitter and enjoy themselves immensely as they do so. And um, uh, one conservative tweeter, uh, Robert Stacey McCain, uh, oh, yeah. got, got himself uh, banned. He says he doesn't know why. He doesn't know what the specific uh, error in in pro- political correctness, it was that he committed that led to this. Uh, but there I were know, many. I, I know. I, I know Stacy McCain, and Stacy McCain too. is 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 uh, not a not a person that I think deserves a great deal of defense. But um, the whole question is whether uh, Twitter is singling out uh, conservatives solely. I think because of this one case. Mm-hmm. Of Stacey McCain. Now, having said that, I'm getting all these reading all these tweets about how people now think there's something called shadow banning, where they're finding it impossible to respond to certain tweets, or their tweets aren't appearing in the timeline right, or they, you know, when they click right. when right. they click something, it, they're not allowed to respond to it. And and this is being referred to as shadow banning, but as well, now, far have you? I mean, have you, John? Have you, Joan? Have you experienced this? I have not. I mean, I, I'm sort of like John. I'm a little bit in the dark about it, and you know, um, I think it is insane for Twitter to ban yeah. Stacey McCain. Um, but I also got the sense that Stacey was trying really hard to get the attention of the people who do the banning. Um, but it was incredible, you know, if that's the case and I don't know, I mean, again, I don't follow it that closely, but if that is the case, you know, uh, Twitter took the bait, which was incredibly stupid. And, um, in any of it, if it's, even if it's not the case, it was incredibly stupid to ban them. And when when you look at the stuff that is allowed on Twitter and to think that like, you know, Stacey McCain is the worst culprit 
it is just it's, it's ludicrous. Um, but right, I, my my thing is I I really wish like Wikipedia or someone like that would just simply buy Twitter because this is a great example of how you know look I mean what has two thumbs and loves the free market this guy but um, <laughs> not you know. But, you know, sometimes the, the, the quest for this sort of Facebook model, huge, let's all become billionaires because we spent months, right. you know, s- drinking Diet Coke and stinking of B.O. So we're owed it. Um, well, if that, was, if that was the, those are the only qualifications. I, I would be a, <laughs> we'd all be billionaires. But the thing is, so they, they want to, they, they keep trying to figure out how to change Twitter Right. So that it becomes immensely profitable. And I completely understand that. And I, you know, and I celebrate it, but they're ruining the product in the meantime. And it would be nice if, if somehow they could just figure out a way to leave it alone. Well, um, they, they, they can't, of course, because the valuation is enormous. The valuation is right. based on profit and the profit is not happening. I mean, I, I, I love uh, Twitter and I, I, I the company I, I, I used to know pretty well. I don't know the people on it now. Um, but I, my position with them is always the same thing, which is I think you guys have invented a, the perfect business that can never make money, right? Because it you 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 have it's a beautiful beautiful mousetrap, capitalist mousetrap. It's a great thing. It's super light. It's not that. It's not. It's not complicated to use or to figure out. Uh, but it's 140 characters, and there's no way to make any money at it. Um, but it's not. It's not true. So look, I'm now looking at a story from the fall of 2015 that said the Twitter's revenue in the quarter that had just ended. Was somewhere between six hundred ninety-five and seven hundred and ten million. That's revenue. That mm-hmm. means that that means that over the course of a year, Twitter would make about three billion dollars in revenue. You're going to tell me that that is not revenue? You're going to tell me that's not real revenue and that they they're not making a profit? How is that even possible? No, it's making a profit, but the valuation that everyone was betting on—the idea that you'd have a billion users or, or multiple users. Uh, uh, or more a multiple greater than you have now is just not happening. The growth but that's, isn't there. That's Jonah's point right there, which is you have a product that is that is grossing three billion dollars, and that is now viewed as a disappointment on Wall Street because its growth seems to have slowed down. And in any rational understanding, a product that, gro- that grosses $3 billion should make enough money for anybody to be happy with the results. If it were a private- well, no. It depends on what the expenses are and what it actually does, has to pay for. It. Well, Enormous engineering costs. Its expenses can't be three billion dollars. No, no, but but in terms of its valuation, has to continue to grow, which means you have to have a big sales force. You have to have more users every year. You can't stay. No consumer product like that stays flat. It has to grow. If it's staying flat, it's actually dropping down. Uh, Okay, it's like like, uh, money in the bank. You know, money in the bank's got to grow. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you because are you in your own industry? Are you going to tell me that that? uh, networks have not uh, continued to make a colossal profit despite the fact that they have a shrinking audience. 
if they appeal to the right <laughs> demo and they do this and they do that or a cable network. It, it's not even – but yes, they continue to make a profit. That profit is diminished over time and their valuation has diminished over time. They are now – if you break out the broadcast network operations of any of the big media companies, it's now considerably smaller than it was even 10 years ago. Right. Because the business right. is shrinking, and but the business is, is shrinking, but they're owners. desperately trying to get out of that business, not in that right. business. But the difference between that and Twitter is that Twitter, as 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 a as an actual classic business, is designed to be limited. It's it's already its limitations are built into the form. It's hard to advertise on a very fast messaging service. It's just really hard to do that. Hard to raise revenue. No one wants to pay for it because it's too small, but also no one wants to really advertise on it because those 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 things that you advertise, those sponsored tweets or whatever, don't seem to be getting the traction they're supposed to be getting. Um, yeah, but yeah, so that's what would be good, would be good though is if Twitter first... is, yeah, Sorry. I, can I just that's because Twitter is viewing itself as a as a as a competitor to Facebook, if Twitter viewed itself as a publishing company, three billion dollars in revenue would be like manna from heaven. But it would never be able to grow because if it was a publishing company, it would never have an IPO, it would never have a market cap. What you're saying is that they should have just stopped doing it. No, I'm saying just let it. Should, yeah, okay, no, what's, what's the value it, of Simon it. and Schuster? Zero, minus no, ten. No, sell it, and if you sold it and someone took it private, they could get take that $3 billion and put it in their but, pocket against expenses. But they didn't lose money. The owners of Twitter did not lose money. Who lost money were the, the credulous and foolish investors in the public markets. Blame them. Yeah, look, They're I, the ones I, set the valuation this, every day. This is all fine and dandy, but it's still it, – my basic point just stands. They are trying to meet – Unreasonable expectations for the the value of this thing, which, as John says, is absolutely valuable as an objective thing. It's just never going to be as valuable as Facebook. But in pursuit of that goal, you know, look, Glop, which we both, which we all know here, is an incredibly successful, best of its kind, fantastic, <laughs> wonderful podcast, right? But it's not going to make as much money anytime soon as HBO. And if we tra- keep trying to turn Glop into HBO, it's going to ruin Glop. And what they're doing with Twitter is they keep trying to change its model or figure out something that will make it like a competitor of Facebook's, and that's not going to happen. I would so much rather that they just simply sort of say, you know, $3 billion for a website, you know, for a web service is really freaking awesome. It's, it's sort of like, you know, <laughs> like I, I, it's funny, like Waze. I know you're a big fan of Waze. I like Waze, although I think it, it messes up Washington. It gets Washington wrong quite a bit. Um, but this idea that somehow it's going to make a huge amount of money off of embedded ads um, is kind of right. nuts, right? You know, like you lose KFC, yeah. And you know, the other night, I, I swear to God, the other night um, I clicked on an ad by accident. And what it did, <laughs> it, was, it was an ad for um, this new uh, – this new uh, – you know, President Being Attacked in London movie. What's that yeah. thing called? And you, did, yeah, you, did you download the fallen. voice? Yeah, and so all of a sudden my, my phone starts talking to me with Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like he's, you know, he's, he's going to start sort of telling like me your, how, Like your Hillary commercial. Like your Hillary commercial. Yeah, well, I was thinking more like Shawshank and I was going to be like, you know, inchworming through a river of fecal matter kind of thing. But it was, it was, it was bizarre. And anyway, I just think if, it went, if they went Wikipedia, if they went that model. And Non-profit. Went well enough alone, it would be so much better. Or if they just sold themselves to Google, Google will figure out how to monetize it 
within its larger universe of stuff. Well, you know, Google owns Waze, by the way. That's so I know that's, it does. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So, did you ever so, did you did you listen to Morgan Freeman? Because I clicked on it last summer when it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was great. Take I had Terry, my, my phone I had is, Terry as far as Cruz. I know is still Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I had Terry Crews from really? Brooklyn Nine Nine. So it was like this: turn left, then turn <laughs> other left. You sure it wasn't one of your kids in the back seat? No, my kids loved it, and then after about like an hour of it, I was like, "Get this off my phone!" <laughs> but you know what? You shouldn't get off your phone, and what you shouldn't get off your computer, and what you should, in fact, participate in. Robin, that would be uh, Hillsdale College, uh, a school uh, that we have all uh, been to, that where I think we've all spoken, and that not we all think have, have, not, have not been invited yet. Okay, okay, Larry Arn, I think you need to get Rob Long out to Michigan. The this election season, you'll hear a lot of candidates talking about the Constitution, though maybe fewer than we thought. <laughs> if you're like many Americans, in fact, Hillary Clinton the other day declared that there was a constitutional right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which means a, I didn't know that she was a West Coast Straussian, but b, she doesn't know what's in the Constitution, so that's in the Declaration of Independence, but. If you're like many Americans, you may not know the true importance of the Constitution, as Hillary Clinton doesn't, and the rights and liberties it provides. That's why Hillsdale College has made their Constitution 101 course available to everyone online for free, including Donald Trump, because every one of my listeners owes it, and your listeners, and Jonah's listeners, and Rob's listeners, owes it to themselves to learn about and study the Constitution. After all, we can't have free enterprise without freedom. So you can sign up for free today. Once you start the course, you'll receive a new lecture every week to watch on demand along with readings, discussion boards, and more. Nearly a million people have taken this course and gave it rave reviews. Sign up for Constitution 101 for free at hillsdale.edu slash ricochet. That's hillsdale.edu slash ricochet. Hillsdale EDU slash R-I-C-O-C-H-E-T. Jonah, are you having your big gulp again? This is the that, second. That wasn't me. No, I think wow. it's me just moving my microphone off my collar. Oh, okay. Is that what you're calling it now? Yeah, yeah. Both of those things. Um, so, you know, in, in line with our determination not to discuss uh, certain uh, topics uh, uh, today, um, I wanted to uh, ask you guys about um, what you think are the best books that you can think of off the top of your head about really <laughs> disgusting, immoral, loathsome rich people. <laughs> I would have to say – Which is not say... related. It's related to absolutely nothing. I just want I, to make that point. I, this is, I, that that yeah. just came off the top yeah. of my head. I would have to say, um, for me, it'd be the Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> uh, implicit, I think. I haven't read it in a while, so I may be missing the point. <laughs> uh, well, uh, okay, so I'll go with um, The Way We Live Now by, by, by Anthony Trollope, which is the probably the greatest, <laughs> okay. the greatest novel ever about a financial bubble. Uh, uh, involving a mysterious financier who uh, ad- who takes London by storm because he announces that he is building the intercontinental Chinese railroad, 
And, um, and of course, it all turns out to be a, a Madoff-like scheme. Right. So uh, that's a book about a really uh, disgusting rich person that if you're interested in thinking about the kind of damage that really disgusting rich people can do to just a perfectly civilized country you might want to read. Um, uh, Rob, uh, Jonah, Jonah, do you, uh, do, yeah, do you have it? Two, two, two books come to mind. Um, the first would be – it's not a novel um, – it's Henry Ashby Turner's uh, the uh, German Big Business and the Rise of Hitler, <laughs> which is a, a really it's a fascinating book. Um, a Yale historian who went and contrary to Marxist theory, which said that Hitler was a tool of of the industrial ruling classes, it turned out that in fact the industrial ruling classes were incredibly. Um, Weak need and uh, opportunistic, huh? and simply that went, like the ruling class. Where? They simply went with where, wherever the the politics seemed to be going. Which brings me to this, the, the second book, which would be the Arms of Krupp by William Manchester, which was a fantastic book about the Krupp's armament industry. Oh wow! And one of my um my favorite anecdotes in it. Um, and this has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on today whatsoever. No, it has nothing. nothing to do with people wetting their fingers and going with the wind and refusing to fund um, attack ads that might reflect badly on their brand or get someone to say mean things about them. It has nothing to do with any of that. No. Um, but in the arms of Krupp, there was this great little vignette uh, where um, Krupp in 1933-ish, right, at the early of um, – in the – in the early parts of, of the, the troubles in, in Germany, um, he had instructions for his chauffeur, which were that if he came out of the building with his gloves in his right hand, mm-hmm. his chauffeur should give him the old Prussian salute where you click your heels together um, in a sort of patriotic deference to tradition. If he came out with his gloves in his left hand, his chauffeur should give him the Nazi salute because Krupp was dealing with everybody and he was always just sort of going with the flow and hedging his bets and not standing on any principle other than what was good for him and his bottom line. And uh, again, this has nothing to do with how certain donors would be donors to certain super PACs um, are behaving today in any way, shape or form. And there is no, Hitler analogy of any kind, thank and you. implicit. No, explicit of course not. Of course not. Thank you Although I do, no I do thank yes. you. That is a very good technique that I'm now trying to figure out how to get the people in my life to do. Different signs for different things. Like, you put on a red baseball cap if I, you know, give you the high sign. <laughs> Take it off if I, yeah. Put on the yarmulke. Now, now, Rob, I believe that you, you in fact, made a television series. I did. About a kind of disgusting rich family. Maybe you could... Um, yeah, I won an Emmy for the set, yes. but I still won an Emmy. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I, hear, hear, I, I think I, I would say two, two things. One, um, traditionally in film and television, rich people uh, are, are, are a figure of fun. They're not a you know you don't they're not disgusting. I mean the soap operas maybe like Dallas or Dynasty. It's sort of but so you 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 look at it like you watch a car accident. These people are so miserable. They're always like uh, they're always doing terrible things to each other. They kind of they kind of all deserve it, right? Um, I guess the best book about 
disgusting rich people. Well, there's a great it's thing. Thurston Howell. I like Thurston Howell. Yeah, Thurston Howell. You like Thurston Howell. You know, he's just kind of a uh, lovable. He's sort of a moron, but he's sort of lovable. And, and he's a he's an aristocrat too, Thur- Thurston Howell. He's like incredibly rich, but he's also been rich forever. Um, and Lovey Howell is is the uh, the aptly named Lovey Howell. She's a love. She's lovely. Um, uh, Edith Wharton's A Custom of the Country is a great ah. book because it it not only um, attacks rich people for their sort of fecklessness, but it also attacks the sort of grasping uh, nouveau riche for its uh, soullessness. It kind of is a, a pox on all their houses. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the problem with rich people now is that there are so many of them. Everyone's rich. People are. I heard somebody the other day say, "Well, yeah, I hope Bloomberg gets in the race because then he'll teach Trump what a real what a real rich person is." It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sense that it, you know, even if Trump is lying, I mean, not even if Trump is lying. Trump is obviously lying. E- even if his net worth is Who somewhere is this Trump, you speak of. Yeah, if it's somewhere around yeah, exactly <laughs> one to two billion dollars, that's still a whole lot of money. Uh, it's not 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 where nowhere close to Bloomberg's twenty or something, but it's it's still a lot. Forty nine, forty nine, forty nine. That's just a, that's 49. like stupid money. That's insane money. That's but you know the thing, the thing about Bloomberg. I'll say this about Bloomberg. He's a he's. A, I mean, the, the 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 three times I can count on my you know one hand, the three, three times I've met him or in, or had anything you know uh, had more than just a shake handshake with him. He he's a, he's a very smart kind of engaging nice guy. I, I like him. Um, I don't know him well enough. Oh, but to you're a squishy rhino, so that makes total sense. Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and I was, you know, I wasn't drinking my big gulp, my usual big gulp at the time. But he seemed like, you know, he seemed like a guy in the world, right? In the actual world. So, um, right. there's that. Well, you but, know, one, yeah. Let's talk one, about something else. We're we're very close thing, to reality here. One thing about television series about really disgusting rich people that that really has nothing whatsoever to do with what we're talking about today is yeah. that though they are often extremely rich and, and very disgusting. They're, they're, the way that they live and the way that they conduct themselves in an, in an effort, I think, to make them more understandable to, to, to regular people who are not rich is very middle class. They sit down to dinner together. Yeah. They, you know, they, they, you know, they sort of they go around and they drive their own cars. They do all kinds of stuff that everybody else does. And, um, there is a certain kind of disgusting rich people uh, person at present who I think because he because he doesn't collect art and he doesn't uh, you know he doesn't sort of fund operas and opera companies and things like that and hangs out with wrestlers and and has a home on television that looks like some bizarre. Uh, you know, fantasy set for a television show about yeah, rich his, people. His, de- his decorating aesthetic is like, you know, late Uday Hussein. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so he is in some peculiar way a more recognizable person because of television, because, because uh, of – I see. Than, than, than other rich people who seem to live in a different universe. He yeah, lives yeah. in the Vince McMahon universe, but – we're not really talking about anybody who is currently in the news. Just, See, now the, just the, some random. The, the TV show about rich people that I, you know, it's not about terrible rich people, but it's it's kind of rich people I like that doesn't get enough credit is Heart to Heart. Because there yeah. you had yeah, rich right. people who solved crimes. Right. You they know, were solving like crimes. That's what they were doing. They were solving <laughs> crimes. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, but what they I love about Heart to Heart was that – 
and it wasn't really that like, it wasn't that opulent either heart to heart like it, they kind of like like the den was like this normal looking den they would sit in um yeah, and, and except that it had a it, except a van go on the wall it had a van and it had a van go on the wall that was clearly I mean, I've, I've seen that Van Gogh in the Van Gogh Museum, so they didn't even bother <laughs> to make it real. They said, give me a Van Gogh. The, you know, it's a self-portrait of Van Gogh yes. that everybody's yeah. seen, uh, and then we're going to put it on the wall here with a little light. They had a little light over it. You know, like uh, yeah. they're, they're art collectors, the hearts, because they, they got that they want that Van Gogh. Um, and then they would kind of drive around in, 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 in nice cars but not fancy cars, right. and, and it was with vagueness that Robert Wagner, who played Jonathan Hart, his company was called – Heart Industries. <laughs> and, Heart and, industry. The they part, yeah. and the best part is they had one servant. He was yeah. their driver. He cooked their dinner. He yeah. tucked them into bed at night. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, they, it, you know, to, to actually count the number of people that rich people have working for them in and around their home is hard. Would, would take a quantum physicist. Often, that's my uh, that's 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 the truth of it. And like, so, probably yeah. there's somebody working on the payroll who is a quantum physicist, right? So but ba- so but basically done, right? But basically, the hearts had the same number of servants as the Brady Bunch. That's you know that's but basically- remember that was, a, that was a different time in American television and media. Just to go back briefly, to swoop back to our Twitter conversation, where you you, you weren't it wasn't that competitive, and you were incre- these networks were incredibly rich, just making money. Hand over fist. I mean, it was essentially a nonprofit system because it was completely closed. They didn't have any competition. They they colluded with each other on what time slots will be drama. If you put a comedy on at nine o'clock, I'll put a drama on nine o'clock, and then the third guy will put news. That's that's what it was. Um, and at that point, they, they the Aaron's it was an Aaron Spelling show. He pitched broadcast television a show where Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers were the the leads. Right, so two people. At that time, in uh, older than forty, and the um, and then the third person was Lionel Sander, who played the, Stander, the butler Stander. Stander, who was over must have been over uh, almost seventy at the time. So they they their ge- their generational sort of diversity was yes. uh, over forty and over seventy, and nobody cared. Right, amazing. Yeah, and it, and it was a huge hit. And now another huge hit. And, Speaking of hits. Uh, and and the biggest a show of, of particular meaning and moment to um to 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 Jonah, which which I will admit I've never seen a second of because I I don't like zombies is The Walking Dead, <laughs> and I believe Jonah has something to say about The Walking Dead. Very specific, he wanted to talk about The Walking Dead. Yeah. So I think Jonah, it's time for you to talk about The Walking Dead. Please discuss The Walking Dead. Oh, I, I well I I. I I have so much to say about The Walking Dead, and again, it has it has absolutely nothing to do with mindless followers who just go to the nearest distraction in large groups and overwhelm the last lesson of civilization. Right? There's nothing to do with that whatsoever. Well, they're sick, right? They're sick. Um, yeah, there's, there's sick uh, sort of guttural primal instincts that have nothing to do with higher brain functions all uh-huh. and, and or herd mentality at all it has nothing to do with any of that and um, also there's one other thing is where where you you think you recognize those people because they look like people you used to know but now they're in they've been taken with this virus is that, but is that also a component yeah, yeah that's yeah. something it's it's really 
kind of shocking. And, and if, if we were doing a different podcast, um, I've been talking to friends a lot lately about Invasion of the Body Snatchers and how it's amazing yeah. how people you've known for an incredibly long period of time, all of a sudden uh, a switch has been flipped and they all of a sudden start believing in things that you didn't think was possible for them to believe in. But again, we're not going to talk about any of that kind of stuff. Um, no, my, my thing about The Walking Dead, and the only reason I actually brought it up in the email yesterday was that um, I was doing uh, – true story. I was in South Carolina yesterday, and, um, uh, and I did a Fox hit for American Newsroom, and then I did one for Stu Varney's show on Fox Business. And fun fact, I did this out of the most amazing ramshackle house that, was, that doubled as a, as a very low-end televangelist church. Wow. Um, that, the insert studio is sort of fascinating. Like the driver was like, this is where you want me to drop you off? And I was like, I think so. You know? <laughs> so and, wait, wait, let me wait. I'll wave to you. Here, here's a, a sign. If I'm, uh, if I'm holding my gloves in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, and then so Stuart Varney um, asked me about some political stuff that we're not getting into. And then he said, and Mr. Goldman, I can't do his accent. He says, you know, and Jonah... Jonah Goldberg, why are you writing about zombies in the middle of the uh, um, presidential primaries? And, you know, it was sort of interesting that it turns out that his entire staff are huge Walking Dead fans. And so they put him up to it. Um, and I didn't get into any parallels about the end times or the apocalypse, so that I think they would be perfectly valid. Instead, I just said that, look, I actually take zombie preparedness very, very seriously and um, uh, which apparently got Haley Barber <laughs> to start laughing on set uproariously. But um, no, one of my great peeves about I, I kind of feel like Jim Ignatowski and Taxi, who went on that rant about how in Star Trek they started having Romulans do things that no Romulan would ever do. Um, <laughs> but it drives me crazy in Walking Dead how like they don't have any of the conversations that like you or I would have. If we somehow, through a Darwinian struggle for survival, had managed to stay alive after the zombie apocalypse, we would be talking a lot about, like, shelter and weapons mm -hmm. and where – you know, they don't have these kinds of conversations. Instead, it's all this metaphysical existential stuff about the kinds of people who survive and the kinds of people who don't. And moreover, the thing that really set me off recently – you guys don't watch Walking Dead, but they've, they've basically taken over this um, – uh, planned community in Alexandria, Virginia, that, ha that they put walls right. up around. And they do nothing to, like, you know, take the logic of siege fortifications seriously. And they're constantly being surprised by zombie attacks. Yeah. Which you would think, you know, after, after a while, just through trial and error, the survivors would be, like, all about preparing for zombie attacks. Drives me crazy. It, it's, it, it, and what's, what's weird also about us is I, I watched – I haven't watched the most recent seasons, but I, I'm, I'm catching up slowly. But is that nobody in the show had ever played a zombie attack video game. Like <laughs> it, you know what I mean? They never – it just this, – this, oh my god, zombies? Where did these come from? Well, we've been talking about zombies for 40 years. It's so like aren't you – how how so really surprised could you be if a zombie knocked on your door right now or sort of battering it down? I mean, you know, you'd be surprised, right? But it wouldn't be like, oh no, what's this strange thing? You'd be like, it's a zombie. Let's uh, we got to figure out how to kill it. Um, 
that's what seems strange to me. The weird chilling moment of the zombie of The Walking Dead, and I'm, this is a spoiler alert, I think, from the second season, so you're out of luck if you, if you haven't seen it, um, is that they discover that the zombie virus is in all of us. That we're all. I think that's become, the end of season one. Actually. End of season one. We'll all yeah. become zombies when we die. It's not like something you catch. Um, and that, I think, that to me, that was sort of the most chilling and interesting existential moment of The Walking Dead was when you're like, oh, that's that was a nice twist, I thought. Which I think is not a parallel to today's politics in any way whatsoever. No, well, no, that's no, interesting. But, but if I, I knew you'd say, say that, cuckservative. <laughs> if I could just say that this is a this is a habit of these. Um, weird, uh, uh, speculative, alt-history uh, TV shows because Lost would do this all the time. So there they are on this island. They're trapped on this island. Then they discover that there are other people on this island. So rather than going up to the other people on the island and saying, hey, how did you get here? Have you ever right. tried to get off? Uh, you know, have, can, can we maybe share equipment so we could get a radio together or something like that? The other people say, you know, like, this isn't your island. This is our island. And then, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then right. they sort of walk away. It's like they should say, we know it's not our island. We, we don't want to be on this island. We would be happy to leave this island to you. Help us get off. Yeah. It's your island. And also, By the way, what do you, you like so much this, about this island? <laughs> also, if there, maybe, maybe there's some food. You know where the food is. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, is there a good swimming hole? Yeah. You know, since you've been here longer than us. What is like, the spa clothes? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. The important yeah. stuff. So, like, yeah. so it's like on, on The Man in the High Castle, which I think I talked about on the last show, this um, Amazon series, The Man in the High Castle. So it's an alternative history, and there's this film that everybody is fighting over. It's the film, and the films say this, and there are films. And then people say, have you seen the film? And someone else says, yes, I've seen the film. And it's like, what is it? It's a glimpse of something else. And they never show you the film, and no one is allowed to have a conversation about the film. So you have no idea what is going on with the film. But in fact, if you were part of a resistance movement dedicated to the film, all you would do is be you would talk about the film. What's in the film? Yeah. How, what, how can we get to the world that's in the film, the alternate right. history that shows that Hitler didn't win and the Japanese didn't win and we live in a different place? Can we get there? Maybe there's a way we can get to that world. <laughs> no, you can't get to that <laughs> world. world. So, you know, th- this, is, this is part of this yeah. absurdity. But that, of, is the way, but that is the way you have to write those serials, right? You have to write those serials so that the minute the question – well, let me tell you something about the film. Don't tell me now. Let's wait and go to the other room, and then I'm going to look broodingly out the window, and my child will come and say something that will distract us to the end of the episode. You're always <laughs> almost having the conversation you need to have because the minute you have the conversation, you know, the usually the writers the are pedaling furiously trying to figure out. Well, we got to. Tr- yeah, we don't have the right. twist yet. So, I mean, but uh, here's what I here, here's the difference I would say between The Walking Dead and Body Snatchers, and that what made for me Body Snatchers so chilling. Um, although I love The Walking Dead, I think it's a great show. In the, walk, in, in, in the Walking Dead, the zombies are just zombies, right? They don't really have any meaningful anything. They're just, ah! Um, in in uh, Invasion of Potty Snatchers, there's that, especially in the, in the second version, there's a very wonderful speech that one of the new Body Snatched pod people, I think it's uh, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard it is Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy, yeah. He says, imagine, this is better. This is better. You will wake up from this in a better world with no worries and no this and no that, no it's war. better. No yeah. war. It's like all that's over. 
And there is something weirdly uh, – you get it. There's a certain – you've got to be complicit in it, which made I – mean, not really, but made the body snatchers that moment so chilling. And that's why there's a certain thing since we're talking about discussing rich people and we're discussing about zombies and displacement and all sorts of things uh, and strange Nazi parallels don't exist. Um, there is this therapeutic aspect right, of certain contemporary movements – that it doesn't really matter what the details are. It's going to be better. It's just going to be better. It's going to be terrific. There's going to be so terrific. much winning. So yeah. much winning. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. terrific. And, and why are you so resistant to that? Why don't you what want to your, win? What's your problem? And, then, and, then, and, and it reminds me a lot of those kind of those courses that people take. Uh, you know Tony Robbins and stuff, and a lot of them are probably really, really effective. But some of them, I mean, there's there was a famous university named after a guy. I, I don't know what it, I, forget, I forget his name. Uh, in which there were actual lies told to people. We're going to take all of your money. You don't need this money. Tell us what your your credit rating is. Bump up your credit rating, and then use that money to buy more courses at our university. And the, you don't have to worry anymore because the universe will take care of everything. Once you take this, once you take this course, you'll be happy. And that and you know, reminds me you know, of Scientology, right? About, which is another kind of a body snatching thing, which is Scientology, yeah. which is you enter now, this you know, closed world. The other world. thing about that core, about that, about that university you're talking about. I forget about, the name of the university. I forget so it. So do I. But you know, at some point in the next three or four months, um, the person after whom it's named – um, is it will be testifying on on the stand about that university and his behavior in its management, yeah. which might prove to be kind of a rather important news event involving uh, charges of of, of yes. wide scale fraud against rather uh, people of rather limited means um, that might provide some um, ammunition to others uh, who. Yeah. Might use it to make it almost impossible for the political party that he wishes to lead to prevail in any way, shape, or form in an election that might be conducted in November. That's coming exactly. up very right. soon. And it's many of those people soon. who are, are – many of the plaintiffs in those suits have signed exclusive commercial contracts with uh, a large political party, American political party on the left. So you won't see them until after the Republican inaugural. So, and then um, you'll and then and you'll you'll surprise. see them. Yeah. They will come to you like swift boats. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, speaking of courses, th- those are those are bad and problematic. Those are bad courses. courses. So I think we need to talk about the great courses. Yeah, the great courses are second sponsor because we're excited. We've been talk we've talked a lot about it, and we're excited about their new Great Courses Plus video learning service, which provides you with unlimited access to a huge library of great courses lecture series in so many fascinating subjects, science, history, political philosophy, cooking, all sorts of areas. We love the Great Courses Plus, and they're giving our listeners an incredible opportunity right now. Uh, Watch one of their popular courses, Understanding Investments, absolutely free. It's presented by by award-winning professor of financial economics at Duke University, Connell Fullenkamp. Uh, people have been watching it. They've really learned a lot. It explains the fundamentals of investing for those not familiar with the process and also covers areas that more experienced investors find beneficial. So just for a limited time, The Great Courses Plus is offering our listeners a chance to stream Understanding Investments, which is a $215 value, 
and hundreds of other courses for free. Stream from any internet-connected TV, PC, or through the Great Courses Plus apps. This free offer is only available for a limited time, so hurry. To stream it, understanding investments from the Great Courses Plus for free, you must go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash glop. That's thegreatcoursesplus, one word, dot com slash glop. Now, we are approaching, as you may know, uh, the Oscars this weekend. And uh, no one, I, I gather that I'm the only person who's seen most of the movies that are up for the Oscars. And so I believe that I should offer my Oscar picks first. And my Oscar picks are everything bad. So it looks like The Revenant is going to win, and The Revenant is lousy, and Leonardo DiCaprio, who's the star of The Revenant, is going to win, and he's neither here nor there. And I haven't seen Brie Larson in Room, because it's a movie about a a child and a woman held held hostage, and I won't see stuff like that. Um, But she's going to win. Yeah, you'll watch Heart to Heart, but you won't see that. That's right. And I I believe that... um, uh, Alicia Vikander, who is an absolutely stunning uh, Danish actress, who was amazing in the movie Ex Machina, is going to win for The Danish Girl, which I also haven't seen. And Is that I, how you say it? Ex Machina? I don't know. Ex Machina? Ex Machina? That's the way I would say it. What do you, how do you say it, Jonah? Ex Machina is how Ma- I would say it. Ex Machina, fine. Right. That's how I say and, it. But I, I get that kind of stuff wrong all the time. So. And I think Sylvester Stallone, who is eminently deserving with a wonderful and heartrending turn in, in Creed as Rocky Balboa will win the supporting actor Oscar. So that those are my Oscar picks. I don't agree with them. I don't like them. I think Spotlight should win for Best Picture or maybe The Big Short and I think – or Mad Max Fury Road, which has no chance. And I think without question that George Miller, the director of Mad Max Fury Road, should win for Best Director because it is – one of the great triumphs of of directorial imagination in film history, but he is not going to win apparently because the because the uh, uh, academy is determined. It appears to give it to this uh, depressing uh, Mexican overdoer, uh, Alexandro Gonzalez Inarritu, because you know. Uh, is that the, how you pronounce it, Inarritu? Inarritu, because they want to because they want to give. <laughs> I say Machina. You say Machina. Because they want to give it to a Mexican rather than an American, goddammit. Or something. Um, or something. See, it's already starting, the virus. I'm starting. I've got it. I've caught the virus. Um, anyway, so uh, – but maybe you guys could just mention a movie you like. That's fine. What movie do you like? Um, I liked Creed. I, I didn't quite think of it as this fantastic movie that everybody seems to say it is. But I liked it and I, th- I thought it was good and, you know – I'd be fine to see it get the Academy Award. Um, I thought um, The Hateful Eight was wildly overrated um, and uh, kind of silly. Um, gosh, what else have I seen? Oh, you know what I really liked? I liked um, – li- I'm sorry. Is, it, is the Mexican guy – is he the guy who did Sicario? No. Okay, because Sicario no. I really no. liked. It's, yeah, Sicario was directed by a Quebecer, so um, – by oh, oh, geez. Then he can never that's be president. Is that how you pronounce right. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quebecois. Quebecois. 
Québécois. Stinking Canadians coming in here. And they speak with one of the ugliest accents I ever uh, heard. He, I'll tell you one thing. He's not sorry. He's a terribly ugly accent. He, he, not sorry. he, don't, he sorry. doesn't like that sorry. Sorry, not sorry. A boot. Uh, the uh, movie I liked was Star Wars. <laughs> well, I loved Star Wars. I liked Star Wars a lot. I enjoyed seeing that movie. The movie I did not like that I saw and I saw based on your kind of weirdly vague non-recommendation, but you kind of shrugged, John, when I, we saw you in New Hampshire – uh, was uh, Hail Caesar, which was a crashing bore. I loved Hail Caesar. I'm sorry. It was not oh. a non-recommendation recommendation. I reviewed it. Go to the Weekly Standard. You can read my review. Oh, I don't want to read your review. You okay, know? don't Why would I want to read your review? review? It's like uh, your review is erroneous. It. That's don't an incorrect <laughs> opinion. Your opinion is incorrect. It's my a terrible is, picture. My opinion is totally correct. Oh, God, no. Your opinion is incorrect, but that's okay. I feel like that's the movie that you cut. Those are the scenes you cut out of the good movie. <laughs> like somewhere there's a good movie there that they just they just took the wrong stuff they just released the wrong thing you know uh-huh. well that would be the hateful eight which is a which uh, uh, unlike Jonah I, I can I can say I do not believe was overrated because from what I could tell everybody hated the hateful eight I don't hateful I heard eight. a bunch of people who liked it and I was stunned dank on ice that no the hail Caesar stank on ice hateful okay. eight I don't know I didn't see it well, hey, but you know you know hateful what would be a great movie to watch these ice, days. So. What? You, what? Know what, you, know, you know what would be a great movie to watch these all days? The kids, I mean, ap- apropos of nothing. All the kids, um, men? Uh, that would be good, but A Face in the Crowd. Face in the yeah. Crowd. A Face in the Crowd. I don't know you what made know. me think of that, but I just kind of I, I, feel like it's a good movie for right now. So A Face in the Crowd made in 1957 by Elia Kazan, starring Andy Griffith in his first right. big and role. And his first big role was he was a um, – a villain. He was a. He's a. He's a, 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 back, a backwoods boy. Lonesome Roads. Who unexpected yeah, uh, a singer who unexpectedly becomes a huge television star and sort of his, like a reality show star almost. Kind of a reality yeah. show star. Um, and 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 he begins uh, apparently leading kind of a movement of what what you might call. Um, uh, the poorly that educated he loves that he loves. He loves. <laughs> yeah, he loves them. Yeah, he loves the poorly. But educated. here's the thing about that movie, and this is a spoiler alert for anyone who's going to see it. But it was, it was, it was. Uh, it only seemed cynical, or only seemed like a cynical, uh, um, you know, um, expose of of media culture, uh, circa 1950. In fact, it was quite naive because when Lonesome Roads is, as these people up until really recently, as a rule, have always been exposed for what he really is. And the people, the good and great American people, on a see hot him. Mic. On a yeah, hot they, mic. on a hot mic, they see and they hear this person sound like he's in it just for himself and he's a liar and he's all sorts of terrible things. His popularity, don't, you know, brace yourself, his popularity plummets, it does not increase. <laughs> <laughs> and so, therefore, it's an interesting uh, time capsule of a kind of a backwards, bizarro world that used yes. to exist back when America was great. Well, you know, the great tweet of this uh, of this week came from Aton Cohen, who is a Hollywood writer director um, and who uh, was the co writer of the um, extraordinary 2006 satirical comedy Idiocracy. Uh, which, which, uh, if you Google again, Google my name and and the word idiocracy, you will find a, re- a piece in. But the now, Standard. careful! Do not Google John's name with the word idiot, because that will get you to a whole different. 
that will get you the alt right. That will get (laughs) you five thousand tweets from the Mm -hmm. alt right. Right. People, people uh, who apparently uh, believe that the term free speech activist and the word Nazi are basically the same term. Uh, in the same, in conjunction with each other, but right. so so Aton Cohen tweeted this one little sentence out, and he said, uh, "I never expected idiocracy to be a documentary." <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to know what he means, uh, rent it right now. You can get it on every you know every device you have, and right. see it and weep uh, because there is a character named uh, President Dwayne Mountain Dew Camacho. Uh, yeah, President Camacho. Yes, five-time uh, wrestling, uh, world wrestling champion um, who has become president of the United States and whose, uh, whose Oval Office is a wrestling ring in, a, in an arena. Um, and then go look at, uh, if you read my piece, you'll see I describe that there is a video of a certain... Uh, short-fingered, orange-haired, uh, rich person, um, and his a three-minute highlight of his appearances as part of the World Wrestling Entertainment Network in 2009. And when you look at those together, Idiocracy and that, you will see a very horrifying possible glimpse of America's future. Uh-huh. Uh, Right? We are. Well, by the way, no. I predict that there are going to be some people who absolutely hate this podcast and say so in the comments. <laughs> yes, I'm I think gonna, so too. I'm going to put so that too. out there. Yes, I think so too. Yes. Now, um, by the way, one other uh, one other important programming note: uh, we uh, we will be doing the next glop from um, Wellington, New Zealand, where I have been <laughs> looking at real estate. Why? Not, and, and I will invite uh, Rob and Jonah to stay with me because until you don't want to live under a Hillary Clinton administration. Yes, until the contagion passes. Mm. Um, I, It'll pass in November. Nice. It'll pass big in November. Yeah, it will. And then, yeah, and then we'll be governed by a by a crook felon who thinks nothing of endangering national security for her own, you know, disgusting efforts to have her husband. Raise yeah. hundred million dollars. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a nice choice, yeah. but I'm saying every now and then you got to make one. Yeah, there. <laughs> so look, so, uh, the, the soccer team that landed, you know, crash landed in the Andes. You know, it's not like they thought to themselves as they're going down. Hey, great opportunity to eat human flesh. <laughs> they just, just the you kind of thing do. you had to do. You make do. You make lemonade. Life hands you, <laughs> life hands you frozen dead bodies of your teammates, and you make a uh, frozen dead body of your teammates' aid. <laughs> well, I really, I don't know where to go with that. So, Jonah, do you have any 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 uh, public appearances where you want to where you want to risk people <laughs> to see you after this? Podcast? Um, I have uh, I am a, a keynote speaker at the James Madison Institute in Florida. I believe yeah, on March. It was very weak. Weak. Loser. <laughs> Madison. Loser. Weak. Short. Very short. Um, he he was kind of a bad president, but you know. and he was short fingered. Um, short. short. So yeah, uh, the Bill of Rights. What the hell is that? I don't even know what the hell that is. Bill of Rights. Um, so I'm going to be there on March 8th, I believe. If you just Google James Madison Institute and Joe Goldberg, you'll find it. And I am then. I'm also speaking at the Pacific Research Institute's Baroness Thatcher Dinner. 
Yeah, um, Thatcher, weak, very weak. <laughs> Sad. Look at that face. Weak Look attached, at that face. She attacked sheep. She, she, she Sad. Ugly. She was ugly and sad. March 11. Um, and if you Google it, you'll find that. And uh, and then I'm going to be gone disappearing on vacation to places unknown that may or may not rhyme with Boo Zealand. <laughs> Rob, what about oh, you? I was thinking about going to Australia. <laughs> um, no, I, I have zero. I'm not making any appearances anywhere. Uh, no one's paying me to do, to arrive. That's really what I, when I say appear. I mean, I'm appearing places. I'm appearing in three dimensions all, all over the world. But um, I'm not appearing anywhere. Anyone's paying me. Um, uh, I got to go back to California. I'm in, I'm in the East Coast now. I got to go back to California next week for a week or two. Just figure it out. And then um, and then I'm just uh, kind of doing my thing. Um and uh, you know what? And I'm not nearly as gloomy um, as as we I, I have behaved on this podcast. I actually feel like uh, uh, President Hillary Clinton's going to be. You know, at least we're not going to have a trade war with China. Put it that way. No, that's that's true. I think the sale will continue apace. Uh, yeah. I, uh, my only, I think the only thing I have to, uh, I will be uh, on red eye on on March second, uh, which happens to be the day after. Super Tuesday, so I expect to be in a really, really good mood, full of high good humor, and stay up till three o'clock in the morning just in case you, you know, just in case you uh, haven't taken your clonopin or your SSRI, <laughs> and you and you want to really plunge into the depths of despair. I think that's March second. It's the morning of March. Well, at least you can DVR it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. DVR at uh, the morning of March third, and um, I will be appearing uh, as part of a Jewish Policy Center panel in Chicago on March sixteenth. And you should uh, Google that, and um, and you can go see it. Or if you don't agree with what I'm saying, don't don't come see it because I, that's all I need is to see you in person because I see you on Twitter every night and the kind of horrible anti-Semitic nonsense that people have been spewing at me day after day, night after night, does not, in fact, incline me to a positive view of the really? American future. I'm sorry it, to say. And has it made you rethink your Judaism? Uh, it is, <laughs> it has are made, you, are you made me rethink many. <laughs> it has made me rethink many. It has made me rethink many things. Uh, that Judaism is not among them. I have a, a, a friend of mine who, uh, whose parents grew up in England. They're English, and he went back one summer and met uh, – he's Jewish, and his parents are Jewish. And he went back and, and met one of his uh, father's old friends, and they were having a drink somewhere in some you know, St. James Club. And his, friend said, uh, his, his father's friend said to him, so tell me, is your father still into Judaism? <laughs> Which I've always loved, like into it, like it's, a, like it's just a thing. No, he's moved on. He's really, he's really more de- uh, in 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 novels now. Not so much nonfiction. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, um, you know, you know, like as Charles Foster Kane said, I think it would be fun to run a country. So, uh, you know, that appears to be the uh, motivating factor behind some people's behavior this year, where you get bored with the, uh, you know, get pretty bored with your. Uh, with your reality TV show, and so you decide to destroy a country because uh, you got nothing else, nothing better to do. Why not? That's what I say. We had a good run. Buy good- gold. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Once again, a free ad. 
We yeah. have to <laughs> get free ad at the end. We've reached the so, point of the free ads, yeah. So thanks very much, and uh, we will talk again. See you soon, fellas. All right. See you guys. Join the conversation. Educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated.